Welcome to another Salvation by Grace Sunday morning message. Salvation by Grace is the teaching ministry of Grace Christian Assembly, a Sovereign Grace Fellowship in Smyrna, Tennessee. You'll find us on the internet at salvationbygrace.org. We are currently studying the Apostle John's revelation of Jesus Christ. So grab your Bible and join the congregation of GCA along with our teaching pastor, Jim McClarty. Good morning. It is good to see all of you. For the visitors, we are in the book of Revelation, 
So Eileen and Omar have decided that you needed to be thrown in the deep end. So just hang on to your brain, and we're just going to plow forward. We are in Revelation chapter 13 at the moment. Here at GCA, we talk a lot about God's sovereignty. We identify ourselves as a sovereign grace church. It's right on the sign out front. You couldn't miss it on the way in. What we mean by saying that God is sovereign is that he is the master, that he is the creator, that he is the sustainer of all things. The creation exists because he exists, and he made everything the way he wanted to make it, and he continues moment by moment to sustain all of his creation. He is sovereign. Sometimes we come across things in the Bible that just scream God's sovereignty. Actually, God's sovereignty is woven throughout the whole of the Bible from the very beginning to the very end. Here, I'll give you an example. In Genesis 1.1, we read that God created the heavens and the earth. Was there anybody there for him to check with? Was there anybody there to approve his plan? He, in the beginning, created absolutely everything the way he wanted to create it, all by himself, because he is God all by himself. And then, as we continue to read the Bible, sometimes we see passages that you can't understand any other way than to understand that God is sovereign. And that's where we're going to begin this morning, because every so often in the book of Revelation, there are things that are said that are just so counterintuitive, so different than the way that we humans think, that unless you understand God's sovereignty, you're just going to be upset by it. You're just going to sit there and read it and say, no, it can't say that, because that rubs up against my notion of my ability to do and think whatever I want to do all the time. But if God is indeed sovereign, then you cannot also be sovereign at the same time. Only one of you gets to be the boss. Turns out, it's God. So we're going to start reading in Revelation 13, verse 7. We have been in this passage the last few weeks. Last week, I kind of quickly read past this and didn't dive into any great depth with it. This week, we'll slow down and look at it. Verse 7, chapter 13, book of Revelation, and it was given to him, that is the little horn, that is the beast, that is that world political leader to come, it was given to him to make war with the saints and to overcome them, and authority over every tribe and people and tongue and nation was given to him. And all who dwell on the earth who worship him. Okay, so that's a category of people. People who are still dwelling on the earth. And all of them collectively start worshiping him. Okay, so let's see how much you remember from last week. Who gives power to the beast? Satan. Satan himself gives power to the beast. 
So when people start worshiping the beast, who are they actually worshiping? Satan. Satan himself, the dragon who gives power to the beast. And everyone who dwells on the earth will worship him. Why are those people still on the earth? Why are they subjected to the beast? Why are they left here to worship Satan? Why is it? Well, that's the end of the sentence. Because their name has not been written from the foundation of the earth in the book of life of the lamb who was slain. There's another category of people. There are people whose names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life since before the foundation of the world, and there are people who are left on the planet to worship Satan. Has it gotten heavy enough already? We just launched in, and I'm already talking about the eternal sovereignty of God in choosing people before the foundation of the world and to guarantee their salvation. He has written their names down in the Lamb's Book of Life, and we're talking about a sovereign God who doesn't make mistakes. Therefore, if your name is written down in the Lamb's Book of Life, there's no point at which God ever said, somebody get me, Michael, get me an eraser, because I had no idea Jeff was going to be this bad. That never happened because God does not make mistakes. Now, this is really reassuring to know. If God chose you, if God has elected you is the biblical language, if God has written your name down in the book of life that belongs to the lamb, then the blood of the lamb, when it was sacrificed, purchased your salvation eternally, even though God knows you were going to be like this. That's really, really good news if you're anything like me, and I hope to God you're not. Because I've messed up this life. Anybody else want to testify? I mean, I have made so many mistakes in this life. I have been so rebellious in this life. I have sinned against God so many times in this life that clearly the solution to my problem can't be me. Because I don't have the ability to fix what I've already broken. The solution to my problem eternally is God. It has to be God, and it has to be the finished work of Jesus Christ. There's no other option. It has to be the grace of God through the finished, atoning work of Jesus Christ. But if it is God's decision, and if it is such a definitive decision that he actually wrote my name down in the Lamb's Book of Life before the foundation of the world, then there's no way I can mess that up. And there's no way you can mess it up either. And the cares of this world and the trials and the troubles of this world can't mess it up either. There's nothing anybody can do, including myself, to get me out of the hand of an absolutely sovereign God who has chosen me before the foundation of the world and written my name down in the Lamb's Book of Life. That is what John is talking about here. Two groups of people... There are those who are dwelling on the earth who are worshiping Satan himself. Those people do not have their name written from the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who was slain. And then John writes, if anybody has an ear, let him hear. 
That phrase, if anybody has an ear, let him hear, we've heard it a couple of times in the book of Revelation, and Matthew, Mark, and Luke, all three of the synoptic gospels, all record Jesus saying that. If you have an ear, then you can hear. So what is he getting at? He's obviously getting at the fact that there are going to be some people on the planet who, even though they have physical ears, can't hear the word of God. You can put it in front of them. You can speak to them. You can tell them. They can read it, and they just don't get it. Have you ever had that experience where you've spoken to somebody eyeball to eyeball, and you've told them about Jesus, and you can tell they just don't get it? Why is that? Because God himself has not given them the change of heart, has not made them born again, has not quickened them, has not regenerated them, and therefore they have no capacity to hear or read the word of God when it's in front of them. And so Jesus uses this phrase, those who have ears, let them hear. People who have the understanding from God, let them hear. But John is also using this phrase in order to say, I know this is tough stuff. I know this is hard to hear. I know this is difficult to comprehend. But pay attention to it. And he uses that phrase in the middle of two of the most sovereign verses in all of the book of Revelation. In other words, even John knows that when he says these things like that Jesus has names written down in a book since before the foundation of the world, and those are the people that get saved. He knows people are going to hear that and go, really? That can't be the way it works. And yet that's what the Bible declares over and over again. But then he's going to say the opposite. When talking about these people who are still dwelling on the earth, who are worshiping Satan, he says about them, verse 10, If anyone is destined for captivity, to captivity he goes. Okay, now when we talk about destiny, when we talk about predestination, when we talk about God sovereignly deciding the outcome of people's lives, we think of it in positive terms and say, well, yes, he destines people to salvation. But this verse says he also destines people to captivity. And if you are destined to captivity, to captivity you go. The next part of the sentence is, now this is the NASB rendering of it. If anyone kills with the sword, with the sword he must be killed. Different translations render that sentence differently. For instance, the NIV, the New International Version, says if anyone is to go to captivity, then to captivity they go. If anyone is to be killed with the sword, then with the sword they will be killed. The New Living Translation says anyone who is destined for prison will be taken to prison. Anyone destined to die by the sword will die by the sword. The ESV, the English Standard Version, renders it, if anyone is to be slain with the sword, then with the sword he must be slain. The Berean Study Bible says, if anyone is to die by the sword, then by the sword he is to be killed. And I think that is a better rendering than the NASB, 
because the point of what John is writing here is that God has predestined not only the salvation of particular people whose names are written down since the foundation of the world in the Lamb's Book of Life, but also there are people who are destined to stay on the planet, to worship Satan, and then to go into captivity and to be killed with the sword. And here is the perseverance and the faith of the saints. So those two phrases... If you have an ear, let him hear. Here is the perseverance and the faith of the saints. Those two phrases admit that everything I've said so far this morning is tough to hear. It's hard for us to wrap our brain around. But at the time when the church is gone off the planet, when Israel is on the planet and being punished by God as God brings their enemies down on them in order to purify Israel in anticipation of the kingdom to come, during that period of time, there are going to be people who are killed with the sword. There are going to be people who go into captivity. And God does not want them to think that that's an aberration. God does not want them to think that when they are killed or when they are taken into captivity, that suddenly God fell off his throne and has no idea how this could possibly happen. Instead, what he is saying is, as part of that warfare, people are going to die and people are going to go into captivity. And that is exactly what they were destined for. And that is why he can say you persevere and you maintain your faith even as the saints are going through this. Okay, so that was a big mouthful to start the morning. Let's apply that to our lives for a moment, shall we? Have you ever found yourself going through a difficulty in life that was so bad that you heard yourself saying, where's God in all this? Well, according to this verse, he's right there in the middle of it. According to this verse, there is nothing going on in your life that he is not in control of, that he is not in charge of, that he didn't see coming, and he is taking you through it for his own purposes and for your ultimate good. I know I've asked this question a lot of times, so I'm going to ask it again. And I do expect you to respond to me because at the moment you all look like an oil painting. (laughs) When have you ever thought more about the things of God and prayed to God more fervently. When things were going good? No. When things are going tough, when you're having difficult days, that's when you're thinking about God. That's when you're praying to God. That's when you're reaching out for the things of God. And he knows that. Look, I figured it out. Many of you are nodding at me as I said it. That means you figured it out. I figured if we can figure it out, God can figure it out. God knows the way we are, sinful human beings that we are, egocentric, self-serving human beings that we are, the way he is going to get our attention and keep our attention is through the difficulties, the trials of life. Because then you're going to look to him, call to him, pray to him, get on your knees to him, beg him, because then you're going to really feel your need of him as you're going through the difficulties of life. So here's the big question. If that is true, then can we safely say that the troubles and the trials of life were brought by God? They are part of his sovereign plan. Well, the answer is yes. 
Why is the answer yes? Because we have the ears to hear, the ability to read the word of God, the ability to stand toe-to-toe with what it actually says, and we understand that if anyone is destined to go to heaven because their names are written down in the Lamb's Book of Life since before the foundation of the world, then they're going to end up in heaven because that's what they're destined for. At the same time, if anybody is destined to captivity, they're going to captivity because that's what they were destined for. If anyone is destined to fall by the sword, they're going to be killed by the sword. Why? Because that's what they're destined to. And our job is to persevere in the faith despite the trials, the difficulties of this life. Am I alone up here? Am I just talking to myself? Because I can go home and talk to myself. I have a cell phone. I can call me. I can. Okay, so in wrapping up that section of chapter 13, what we see is God's sovereignty even in the midst of the beast running rampant on the planet. This is also good to know. Because every once in a while, especially when you look at the world the way it is right now, every once in a while you'll look at the world and say, the world is crazy. And you'll say, well, then how can God be in charge if the world is this messed up? If our politics are this messy, if the world is this messy, how can God still be in control? Well, Revelation 13 tells us That Satan himself is going to empower the first beast who is then going to rule over all the planet and people are going to worship him and thereby be worshiping Satan. And despite all that, we have two declarations of God's absolute sovereignty in the choosing, in the saving, in the destruction of other people. So God is sovereign despite what your circumstances look like. Here is the perseverance and the faith of the saints. The best definition that I have ever heard for the word faith is standing on the word of God and counting on it as more true than your circumstances. Because the circumstances of life will make you think that God's word's not true. But your circumstances are not determinative of God being sovereign and him sitting on the throne doing whatever he wants to do. And we see that example yet again here in chapter 13 of the book of Revelation, even as the world is going through the worst time that it's ever gone through, even as this time of great tribulation is happening, unlike anything that's ever happened before or will ever happen again, even in the midst of that, you find these declarations of God's sovereignty in writing down names in the Lamb's Book of Life, saving those people through the blood of Jesus, and at the same time, destining people to captivity and to the sword because he is an absolutely sovereign God. So persevere through it and have faith despite it. Verse 11. I saw another beast come up out of the earth, And he had two horns like a lamb, and he spoke like a dragon. Okay, so what does that tell you? His outward appearance is going to look innocent like a lamb. He's going to have two horns like a lamb, indicating that all he is is a peacemaker, that all he is is a political leader who wants what's good for the whole world, 
and that he's someone who can be trusted. He's someone who can be followed. And in fact, he's going to make himself out to be Christ-like, which is why we refer to him as anti-Christ, because he is against Christ, because he is the substitute for Christ. So he's going to look Christ-like. He's going to come on the scenes with two horns like a lamb. But then you got to listen to him. And if you don't have ears, you're not going to hear it. If you listen to him, he speaks like the dragon. And who is the dragon? Satan. Satan himself. So he is going to speak for Satan and look like a lamb. In our society, in our world right now, we put a great deal of emphasis on how you look. In fact, I'm betting everybody in the room at some point this morning looked at a mirror and went, okay, good enough. At some point, you brushed your teeth and combed your hair and put on the clothes you wanted to wear this morning, and you went, I'm ready to present myself to the world. Because we put a great deal of emphasis on looks. Can anybody, just off the top of their head, think of any famous people who are famous for how they look? Yeah. What we read in the Bible is that Satan himself is going to come looking like an angel of light. He's not going to appear on the stage of history looking like something from deviled ham. He's not going to do that. That's not what he's about. He's going to come like an angel of light. He's going to look beautiful. He's going to look attractive. So no surprise then, says Paul, since Satan himself appears as an angel of light, he says that's why his ministers also appear as angels of light. Same thing here. When the Antichrist, when this final world ruler comes on the stage of history, He's going to look attractive. Everything about him outwardly is going to look like he's a prophet of God. And in fact, in a moment, we're going to read that he's going to do miracles. He's going to call fire down from the skies. You can see why people would bow and scrape in front of him. You can see why people would say, well, who's like him? He's pretty great. You got to pay attention to what he says. And by the way, if that was the rule by which we all lived, there would be a whole lot fewer preachers. If you just pay attention, they look good. Part of the attraction of being a preacher is that you get to be the loudest, best lit person in the room, and there are a lot of people attracted to that idea. But you got to listen. You have to listen. What are they saying? Are they saying what the word of God says? Or are they saying things that aggrandize themselves and lift up their own egos? Because that is exactly what this beast is going to do. He's going to speak like Satan. He's not going to speak for God. He's going to look godly. He's going to look attractive. He's going to look peaceful. But you've got to pay attention to what he has to say. I saw another beast coming up out of the earth. And he had two horns like a lamb, but he spoke like a dragon. And he exercises all the authority of the first beast in his presence. In other words, by his authority. So the same way that Satan himself, the dragon, gives power and authority, exousia, abilities, the same way that he gives those to the first beast, the first beast is then going to give that power and authority to the second beast. 
So this second beast is who we know as the false prophet. Later in the book of Revelation, in Revelation 19.20 and in Revelation 20, verse 10, he's going to be referred to specifically as the false prophet. So even though we don't see that language here, we know from the totality of the book of Revelation that this is the false prophet. He is the one who is going to come looking like he is prophesying for God, like he is teaching for God. But if you pay attention to what he is saying, you're going to find out that he is speaking for the dragon. And he exercises all authority of the first beast in his presence. And he makes the earth and those who dwell on it quickly now. Because I just told you, let's see if you remember anything at all. Who are those who are dwelling on the earth? All the ones whose names are not written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Why? Because they're gone. And all those who are still dwelling on the earth, Paul says in writing to the Thessalonians, Paul says that God is going to give them a strong delusion so that they will believe the lie, so that they will be condemned. That's the group we're talking about here. These are the people who are still on the earth and those who dwell on it the false prophet will see to it that they worship the first beast whose fatal wound was healed. Who had the fatal wound that was healed? One of the seven heads that is representative of the seven kingdoms who have ever held sway in the Middle East and ruled over Jerusalem. One of those heads representing a kingdom is going to be slain as if to death and then rise back to life. And so John is told that one of these satanic beings was, sound familiar, is not, and will go into perdition. Okay, so one of the seven heads representing one of these kingdoms, one of these demonic leaders, is not during John's time, was before John, is going to be here in this time of tribulation, such as never was or ever will be again. The false prophet is going to cause everyone to worship that beast whose fatal wound was healed. Do you get it? Do you understand what, what John is getting at here? People are going to worship the first beast, and the reason they're going to worship the first beast is because the second beast, who looks like a religious leader, is going to tell them to do it. He's going to be so convincing that he's going to do miraculous things, so they're going to follow him, and he's going to say, do obeisance to the beast. So much so that he's going to set up an image, a statue of the beast in the temple in Jerusalem. The very thing that Jesus refers to as the abomination that makes desolation. He exercises all authority from the first beast in his presence. And he makes the earth and those who dwell on it to worship the first beast whose fatal wound was healed. And he performs great signs, great wonders. So that he even makes fire come down out of heaven to the earth in the presence of men. 
you can see why people who don't have the Spirit of God, people whose names are not written in the Lamb's Book of Life, you can see why those people left on the earth suffering under the delusion that God himself has given them, you can see why those people would see this false prophet call down fire from heaven and all line up and go, yeah, he's something. I mean, he looks like the Lamb of God. He's doing miracles like the Lamb of God. Therefore, I'm going to worship him. And they're not going to pay attention to what he's saying. They're going to pay attention to how he looks and what he's doing. And he's going to perform great signs so that he even makes fire come down out of heaven to the earth in the presence of men. And he deceives those who dwell on the earth. This is now the third reference to those people who dwell on the earth, the earth dwellers, as opposed to the church of Jesus Christ that isn't here anymore. Those names that are written in the Lamb's Book of Life since before the foundation of the world, you don't see any reference to them when the Antichrist and the false prophet is on the planet. But he deceives those who dwell on the earth And he's going to deceive them because of the signs which it was given to him to perform in the presence of the beast. So the beast who's getting his power from Satan is going to give his power to the false prophet. By that power, he's going to do miracles that are going to cause people to bow down and worship. And he's going to tell those who dwell on the earth to make an image to the beast who had the wound of the sword and has come to life. The first beast, the Antichrist. The false prophet is going to encourage people who are busy worshiping him, who are going to do whatever he tells them to do. He's going to tell them to create an image, a statue, and then put it in the temple in Jerusalem, and people are going to bow down and worship a statue. Okay, how many commandments does that break? I mean, it starts with, you'll have no other gods before me. And here they are bowing down in front of a god that they made with their own hands. Throughout the Old Testament, God mocks those kinds of gods and says they can't think, they can't talk, they can't walk. If they're going to go anywhere, you have to carry them. They're the result of your own handiwork. And yet you bow down and worship that? God mocks people who do that. Here the people left on the planet are going to bow down and worship this thing that they have made, that they have set up and called their God. And it is going to be the representation of the first beast, the Antichrist, the little horn. It was given him to perform miracles in the presence of the beast, and he's going to tell those who dwell on the earth to make an image to the beast who had the wound of the sword and has come to life. And there was given to him to give breath to the image of the beast so that the image of the beast might even speak and cause as many who do not worship the image of the beast to be killed. Does that sound familiar for those of you who know your Bible? Because back in Daniel 3... There is the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who I grew up calling my shack, your shack, and a bungalow. (laughs) Anyway, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were the Hebrew children who ended up in the fiery furnace. Do you remember why they ended up in the fiery furnace? 
because they wouldn't worship the image that Nebuchadnezzar created of himself. And everybody in Babylon was told, you worship this image or you die. And the three Hebrew children, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, would not do it because they knew the law of God that said, you'll have no other gods before me. The second commandment, don't make any graven images so that you would bow yourself down and worship them. So they knew that. They wouldn't do it. They ended up in the fire. They ended up passing through the fire. And in fact, when Nebuchadnezzar looked into the fire, he saw four people in there instead of three. Because Christ himself was there in the midst, saving them. Which, by the way, kind of goes back to what I was saying at the beginning. Even in the midst of torment like a fiery furnace, Jesus is still right there in the midst of it. So, this same thing, this same Nebuchadnezzar Babylonish practice is going to happen again. And then the false prophet, this is astounding. The false prophet is going to give breath and a voice to the image they made of the Antichrist. Okay, now, if calling down fire from heaven is impressive, the ability to make an inanimate object come to life is going to be really, really impressive. Now, nowhere in the Bible do we find any example anywhere of Satan having the ability to animate inanimate objects. But in these days that we live in right now, it's beginning to get difficult to tell the difference between reality and falsehood. Anybody seen the deep fakes on the internet? It's getting more and more difficult to find out what's true and what's false. I don't know if this is going to be animatronics. I don't know if this is going to be fake and false. What we know for sure is it's going to be so convincing that people are going to line up to worship the beast despite what the law of God has ever said. There was given to him to give breath to the image of the beast, that the image of the beast might even speak. And cause as many as do not worship the image of the beast to be killed. Who's the object of the sentence? The false prophet. It's the false prophet who is going to cause people to be killed because they don't worship the image of the Antichrist. Now you know why he speaks for the dragon. Because he's going to have people killed for not worshiping the beast. And he causes, look at the amount of trouble that John goes to here to describe absolutely everybody. And he causes all, the small and the great, the rich and the poor, the free man and the slaves to be given a mark on their right hand or on their forehead. That's all. He is being as inclusive as he can possibly be to say everybody who's left on the planet is going to have to take this mark. Now, that verse right there was the inspiration for why we're teaching through the book of Revelation right now. Because when we finished our last series, going verse by verse through books of the Bible, when we finished our last series, and I was thinking about which book to go through next, I was looking at the world 
that was going through COVID at the time. And there were things happening, political things going on during the COVID days that were unlike anything that we have ever experienced, especially here in the Western world. For instance, people were told, you have to do what we tell you. Lose your job, go home, stay home, get vaccinated, wear a mask, sanitize, sanitize, sanitize. Everywhere you go, they're going to take your temperature. If it weren't for COVID and you walked into some store and somebody came at you with a thermometer, you'd be outraged. You'd be like, hey, 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 back it off. But under COVID, you know, okay, all right, sure, do it. And it occurred to me in the midst of all that, you know, if somebody says you got to have a mark now or you can't participate in society, you can't buy, sell, trade unless you take the mark, people now are predisposed to go take that mark because they've been told so many times, just do what we tell you to do. <coughs> there was a guy during the COVID years, there was a guy who owned a gym up in St. Louis. It was on all the news. And because he did not close his gym, because he said, I've got a family, I've got bills to pay, I've got to keep working, I have to stay open. And because he refused to close, the government cleaned out his bank account to force him to comply. And in that moment, when I saw that story on the news, I thought to myself, you can't buy, sell, or trade unless you comply. In other words, the world is being set up right now where this could actually come true. 50 years ago, Anybody here remember 50 years ago, or am I the only one? <sighs> 50 years ago, I remember hearing that, the idea of take a mark or you can't buy, sell, or trade. And that seemed unbelievable. It seemed like something I could not comprehend. What? You got to take a mark, you can't buy, sell, or trade? No, I'm not going to take the mark. I'm going to hide out in the woods. I'll show them. Yeah. If you've got a social security number, they can find you. And, and most of the people who are still making the argument, I'll show them, I'll just, I'll get off the grid, make that announcement on Facebook. Okay, you're already in the grid. They can find you. Never before in human history have we been able to conceive of this coming true tomorrow. I mean, like any day now, we can imagine the government saying, okay, here's the next thing you have to do in order to comply. If you want to buy, sell, and trade, you have to take a mark. And can they mark everybody? Well, they just vaccinated everybody. Why? Now, I'm not saying, just so you know, I'm not saying the vaccination is the mark. I'm saying the vaccination got everybody ready for this idea of a mark. And if you don't comply with the mark, you can't buy, sell, or trade. We can imagine that happening now. 50 years ago, we couldn't imagine that happening. But now we have the technology. Now we have the society. And now we have the government willing to do such things. So is it really that far a stretch to say that this world ruler is going to say everybody, rich and poor, small and great, free men and slaves, all have to take a mark on their right hand or on their forehead? 
And he's going to provide that no one should be able to buy or sell except the one who has the mark, either the name of the beast or the number of his name, which we will get into next week, that whole number of his name thing. Because, boy, there's some wacky theories out there about that. By the way, does anybody in the room suffer from hexacoisioi, hexaconta, hexaphobia? Does anybody have that? Do you know what that is? It's the fear of the number 666. Yeah. So, oh, so you do have it. <laughs> yeah. Now that you know what it is, yeah. I just didn't know that it had a name. He's going to cause all, small and great, rich and poor, free men and slaves to be given a mark on their right hand or on their forehead. And he provides that no one should be able to buy or sell except the one who has the mark, either the name of the beast or the number of his name. So what happens to those people? If you do take the mark, if you do comply, if you do go along with this false prophet, after all, he's doing these miracles, he must be from God, and he's telling us to worship this image, okay, in order to take care of my family, in order to be able to buy bread, in order to pay my bills, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to worship well, then, what happens to those people? Look at chapter 14, verse 9 for a moment. And another angel, a third one, followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast and his image and receives a mark on his forehead or upon his hand, he will also drink the wine of the wrath of God, which is mixed in full measure in the cup of his anger, and he will be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the true lamb. And the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever, and they have no rest day or night, those who worship the beast and his image and who receive the mark of his name. In other words, you don't want to be part of that group. You don't want to be among the people who take the mark. So, that being the case, I believe that the church will be gone before this happens. We've certainly seen enough evidence of that. Everybody who's left on the planet, whose names are not written in the Lamb's Book of Life since before the foundation of the world, those are the people who are going to encounter this stuff. Those are the people who are going to worship the beast, and those are the people who God is going to punish for their worshiping of the beast. So we're not going to be here, but just in case the Salvation by Grace website still exists, after we're all gone, let me say this as plainly as I can. If the option is take the mark of the beast or die, go with death. You do not want to take the mark of the beast. Look at chapter 16, the first two verses. And I heard a loud voice from the temple saying to the seven angels, go and pour out the seven bowls of the wrath of God into the earth. And the first angel went and poured out his bowl into the earth, and it became a loathsome and malignant sore upon the men who had the mark of the beast and who worshipped his image. 
So if you have the characteristic of worshiping the image of the Antichrist, and you've taken his mark so that you can buy, sell, and trade, all you have to look forward to is the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture, which means it's not going to be diluted. It's the full wrath of God poured out on you. Now, let me make this just as plain as I possibly can. For the whole world, for every person on the planet, you have two options. Either you end up worshiping the beast and you fall under the wrath of God without mixture. The undiluted wrath of God is poured out on you. Or the wrath of God was poured out on Jesus Christ for your sake. What makes that difference? Faith in Christ. As we've been reading these horrific things in the book of Revelation, as we've been reading about what's coming, as we've been reading about what God has already sovereignly declared to be the future of planet Earth, as we've been reading it week by week, I have said to you over and over, run to Christ. I keep saying run to Jesus because he is the only solution to not falling under the delusion, not falling into the worship, not falling into the mark-taking, and ending up under the wrath of God. I'm, I'm a guy, for those of you who didn't know, I'm a guy. <laughs> There's only two genders. I'm one of them. Anyway. <laughs> I'm a guy, and my son can attest to this, uh, I'm a guy who, I used to have a temper. And my children knew growing up, you do not want to fall under the wrath of dad. Fortunately, I've gotten old. And along with getting old, I have learned to temper my temper. So my wrath, if I was going to pour out my wrath undiluted on somebody, really, in the end, how scary is that? It's not very scary, because it's just me. I'm just a guy. Think about the wrath of God. Think about the eternal wrath of God, which is described as the smoke of their torment rises up forever and ever. The fact that they are in torment means that they are conscious of it. Everlasting, conscious torment. Run to Christ. You don't want to be on the side where God is willing to pour out his wrath on you. Faith in the finished work of Christ becomes the trading commodity for righteousness in heaven. That's what Paul tells us, and that's the way it's been ever since Abraham. And so I say over and over again, Christ alone, he is the only deliverer from the wrath of God. And if you don't know him, and if you don't trust him, Find somebody in this room who does, because there are plenty of them, and let them tell you about the finished work of Jesus Christ. Okay, so next week, we will get into the 666, and we will go through some of the various theories. What I will not do is name the Antichrist. I, I will not yanking out any gematria in order to show you that I have figured out who the Antichrist is. But for anybody who wants a hint, 
It's Leon. And um, no, no, no. I just, I looked at you and I, 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 not my fault. Are there any questions about what you heard this morning? I know that it was heavy, deep stuff. But you can't do the book of Revelation without doing heavy, deep stuff. No questions? All right. Well, then Steve is going to come and lead you in a closing hymn.
for listening to this week's Salvation by Grace Sunday morning message. We encourage you to visit our website at salvationbygrace.org for books, Q&As, and our ever-expanding archive of audio sermons. And we invite you to join us next time when we gather around the Word and study the sovereign grace of God.